listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Welcome, everyone, to this Cogswell Macy Mobilization Rally. My name is Clark Rockfall, and I am the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. Thank you to everyone joining us here this evening on Zoom <clears throat> webinar for this panel conversation or presentation presenters in conversation, as well as everyone listening live on ACB radio live stream. Uh, Again, my name is Clark and I'm excited to be here and be your host this evening. We are talking about the Cogswell Macy Act. Um, And I know for many ACB members, as well as folks out there who are deaf and hard of hearing or deaf blind, we remember what it was like to be a student, and especially a student with a sensory disability. And the chief tenets here of the Cogswell Macy Act is to enhance services and supports for students with visual impairments, students who are deaf and hard of hearing, as well as students who are deafblind. Uh, the Cogswell Macy Act has been a bill near and dear to the hearts of ACB and our members, as well as the, the other organizations supporting this legislation here this evening. Um, and it was really brought into existence in the shape of legislation in 2013. It's been back every Congress since, and we have the bill reintroduced again. So tonight we have a conversation here uh, with several presenters. We have Mark Reichert, who is the interim executive director of the Association for Education and Rehabilitation for the Blind and Visually Impaired, who we will hear from next. We have Linda Alsop, director of the National Intervener and Advocate Association. Howard Rosenblum, Chief Executive Officer of the National Association of the Deaf, and Barbara Raimondo, Executive Director of the Conference of Educational Administrators of Schools and Programs, excuse me, of Schools and Programs for the Deaf. So as we kick it off here this evening, we will have opportunity for audience Q&A, and we will get to that in uh, throughout the evening here. But first, I would like to turn it over to my friend and colleague, Mark Reichert. Mark, good evening. Thanks, Clark. Thank you so much. Really pleased that uh, you, being the incarnation of the uh, American Council of the Blind this evening, or the the melodious voice thereof, uh, can be our fearless MC and moderator and whipcracker, as those of us, particularly yours truly, who like to do wordy presentations, do what we hope is our best at answering what you all asked of us the last time we got together in February 6th on February 16th for our kickoff event for the year. Uh, you know, I think it was a pretty successful meeting and the feedback that we heard from that loud and clear was, would you all please break down a little bit more in detail for us precisely what the Cogswell Macy Act does and then also give us, you know, put the hay down where the goats can get it, guys. Uh, tell us exactly what we can do to help move it forward. So that's what you're going to get. That's a broad brush on what the agenda is for this evening. What we're going to do is walk through first the general sort of provisions within the Cogswell-Macy bill that are widely speaking, you know, applicable to all 
three of the primary communities to be served by the bill, blindness, deafness, and deafblindness, and then get into some specifics uh, for, uh, with the, in regarding each of those three uh, communities and the specific provisions of the bill that are targeted at their unique policy and related educational service needs. So yours truly's job, which I shall assume presently, uh, is to walk through the language of the bill that is common to all three groups, uh, but then in doing so, hopefully highlighting a few things that are particularly of importance to uh, the blindness and vision impairment community, since that is the community I have the privilege of working for. So uh, I apologize to this group. I, I freely admit my wanton prejudice against slides and PowerPoint presentations. It's not because I'm blind. It's because I have a com- I'm a combination of lazy and just frankly want your undivided attention and don't want you looking at things. If you want to write some stuff down, that's great. Uh, so taking notes is always good. The session is being recorded, as you know. Uh, anything that any of us present, please reach out to us directly. We'd be glad to talk with you. But I'll try to break it down for you as simply as I know how. They say that every presentation that's a good presentation has three parts to it. Mine has seven. Um, I'm not trying to pick biblical numbers, but it's just a fact. That's I need to tell you about seven things that if you know them, then you know this bill pretty well. And I'll list them for you, and then we'll talk about each of them. So the first has to do with making sure that we have properly identified all of our kiddos, as I like to call them. That's number one. Number two, the bill talks about the development of a meaningful state plan addressing our kiddos' needs. The bill talks about what evaluations are appropriate to be conducted for our kids and spells out what those are. That's number three. The bill talks about specific, you know, so-called special factors that ought to be considered by the IEP team when it meets uh, to specifically, you know, zero in on the sensory disability specific needs of a child. So that's number four. Number five has to do with monitoring, essentially accountability. How do we make sure you can have all the rights in the world, but if no one's looking and demanding that they happen, what good are they? Number six is about technical assistance and the need for putting good, meaningful, timely, up-to-date technical assistance in the hands of parents and professionals, essentially everybody who has some kind of responsibility or say, say so about a child's educational needs and rights. And then finally, number seven, a word about special schools and the continuum of placement options. So let's zip through these. Number one, on proper identification. We've talked about this forever, uh, but I will just say by way of recap, uh, if you read the legalese of the bill and say, holy mackerel, that is quite a run-on sentence there in each one of the three titles of the bill that applies to deafness, blindness, and deafblindness respectively, and this giant run-on sentence confuses me. Well, you'd be right to be confused. It is a little wordy. If you break it down, what it essentially means is that, for better or worse, states will continue to be free to use labels uh, to define whether uh, a child's primary, secondary, or even tertiary disability. But the Consul Macy Bill says, state, if you insist on doing that, whatever else you might decide to do, if blindness, deafness, or deafblindness 
are functionally in the mix. That will be documented and essentially have its almost own independent label or status such that a child who may be formally classified as having multiple disabilities because that perhaps is the most appropriate label, that label will be nevertheless tempered by this requirement that, okay, that may be a multiply disabled quote-unquote child, but this child also is blind or visually impaired, for instance. And as a result, whatever state you do to implement this law, you need to make sure that your bureaucracy, even right down to the specific technical means by which you track students, who they are, what their disability issues, their functional issues are, that computer system you use, even that whole structure needs to make sure that if blindness, deafness, deaf blindness is in the mix, that essentially whatever the label is that's used is irrelevant and that therefore certain things will happen. And what are those things? Well, it's the rest of the seven things I've talked about. So the second thing is the state plan. There are already state plans that are required. If you are, if states are getting money from the federal government, They must have a state plan on file with the U.S. Department of Education. What those state plans don't do, by and large, is really go into any meaningful detail about how they intend to serve kids with sensory disabilities. So the the Cogswell-Macy bill spells out in some detail, and time is our enemy tonight. If we had all the time in the world, I would be delighted to talk you through all of the provisions, because I think those provisions each individually are really useful and dig down into the real meaning of what our state plan addition or annex would do. I'll give you one example. There are many more. At least in the blindness world, uh, a lot of blind and visually impaired kiddos we hear uh, are on so-called 504 plans and are not receiving special education and related services. In other words, they don't have an IEP. They're not a special ed kid. And we're very concerned about that uh, because we want to make sure that all kids who need specialized instruction will get it. Uh, And so part of the state plan requirements we have built into the bill would ask, among many other things, that a state has processes in place to look at those distinctions and clarify its own approach for ensuring that a 504 kid truly is a 504 kid and a special ed kid is truly a special ed kid and work out very clearly in the bureaucracy and how the wheels turn there in each state, how to make sure the child who needs specialized instruction, therefore is a specialized, is a special education kid, gets it. That's one of many examples. There are a lot more. Bottom line is for this second point on state plan, just know that the bill essentially says states, no longer do you get to deal with sensory disabled kids in passing or or rest on your laurels thinking you've done it already. Uh, you all need to get together, commit it to writing. And by the way, you also need to convene the stakeholders, all of them, uh, to make sure that kids' needs uh, are properly met. I'll just take a personal privilege here and say a quick shout out to our friends, the parents, and the professionals in the state of Rhode Island who are up to their eyeballs, pun intended, uh, in a real mess up there. We'll talk about that another time. But suffice it to say that at the state, there are plenty of states who frankly, at least with respect to blindness, uh, are woefully lacking in their approach. And there's almost a deliberate indifference to the delivery of services to those kids. And we got to fix that. I'd like to think that the Cogswell-Macy bill would have helped at least in some fashion deal with what those folks are dealing with right now. So prayers to you all up there. 
Could you share with us some of the specific provisions related to visual students? children and students with visual impairments. Well, that, key, that keys up very well for the rest of these points. So the third of these items is on evaluation. All three groups have provisions in the special ed bill, in the Council Macy bill, that say specifically, once we've counted you and identified, it, identified this child as having a sensory disability, certain things are required. And those things that are required, first of all, are that student is entitled to be evaluated with assessments that meet those child's sensory disability specific needs. In the blindness case, we specifically list all of the elements of what in blindness we refer to as the expanded core curriculum. Uh, In deafness and deaf blindness, there are comparable provisions. You can hear about those in a minute. But suffice it to say that in the Cogswell-Macy bill, we for the first time would spell out that Braille is important, but so are lots of other things too. Uh, and that would finally establish that array of full, full array of services in federal law. So absolutely key. The fourth thing goes along with that, and that is the special factors to be considered in an IEP for kiddos with sensory disabilities. In the case of folks who are blind and visually impaired, of course, I think everybody in our community knows that the Braille provisions have been on the books for years. There's no other disability group that has anything quite as strong. You, the kiddo is supposed to get Braille unless the IEP team determines otherwise. But there are additional things that a blind and visually impaired child might need. And so we spell those out. Of course, as you would imagine, they relate to the expanded core curriculum. And so the Cogswell-Macy bill would make sure that happens for blind and visually impaired children. You'll hear in a minute about how special factors apply to the other populations. The next item on monitoring, not much to say here other than you can have all the rights in the world, but if no one's looking, it doesn't matter. The Cogswell-Macy bill would come along and say for all kids with sensory disabilities, the department can't just, U.S. Department of Education can't just blithely say, I'm sure it must be doing good. Uh, if you ask the Department of Education right now how many blind children are or are not receiving Braille instruction, they can't tell you. They've got some educated guesses, but we don't really have it mapped out. And so that part of the bill will ensure that those kinds of answers can actually be gained from the department because the department will actually finally ask states to pony up what's really going on uh, out there. Six, just two more, Clark. Six has to do with technical assistance. At least in the blindness world, we haven't seen actual practical, you know, in if you'll allow me to say this, parent or practitioner level language, not boring convoluted legalese, but actual real words, uh, technical assistance come out of the Department of Education to benefit blind and visually impaired kids since the year 2000. My standard joke here is I don't think that document uses the word internet. So I think there's a lot to be done there. This legislation would say for all three communities, the Department of Education will issue regularly, periodically, I think we said at least every five years, up-to-date technical assistance to assist parents, especially, but parents and practitioners out there in meeting folks' needs. So that would clearly be a benefit. And last but not least, special schools. I think all of us on this call have always recognized the value and the appropriate role of special schools, not only in direct instruction, but also as they provide important services across the whole country. And what this legislation, our Cogswell-Macy bill would say is that we've had it up to here with states that would consolidate schools for the blind, schools for the deaf, uh, mix them with other schools, uh, or even possibly close them altogether. And this bill, frankly, takes a very hard line and says if a state even tries to do that, that will represent formally, legally, a reduction in that state's commitment to special education in the state. 
meaning that that state is potentially open to penalties and losing federal dollars, which would be a pretty aggressive remedy. Thank you for listening. We look forward to your questions. Clark, back to you. Mark, thank you so much. And at this point, I'd like to turn to Linda. Linda, could you please share with us uh, what specific provisions are there within the Cogswell-Macy Act for students who are deafblind? Thank you. Um, I am happy to be able to do that. We're going to jump to Title III of the Cogswell-Macy Act, which you can see is improving the effectiveness of special education and related services for children and youth who are deafblind. So the things that make this very unique to deafblindness beyond what Mark has described as the general points in the Act are threefold. One, you'll see in Section 301, and if you see the quotes around um, these words, these paragraphs, you'll know they're directly from the Act. So I put in the language so that you would be able to go there and see if you wanted more information. So one was under identifying children regardless of their classification. So I bolded the section that says they'll identify, locate, and evaluate children with combined vision and hearing loss who are or may be classified in a disability category other than deafblindness, meaning concomitant hearing and visual impairments, the combination of which causes severe communication and other developmental and educational needs that adversely affect a child's educational performance, and including children who are deafblind with additional disabilities and provides without prejudice to such classification, special education, and related services to such children. That's a lot of words, but what this effectively does is it says children who may be classified in other disability categories still have to be served as deafblind children. And this also includes a definition, as you see, as I read that. One of the struggles we've had in the field has been getting a good definition of deafblindness into IDEA. So we were able to put this wording in, in hopes that it will help further define what it means when we talk about children who are deafblind. And then also it makes the point that they must be served as deafblind, even though they may be categorized in a different category. So this is very important in Section 301. Okay, next slide. In 321, another very key piece has to do with personnel development to ensure to improve services. And this is ensuring sufficient teachers of the deafblind and early intervention specialists. So you can see under G, it's preparing personnel to be qualified teachers of the deafblind and early intervention specialists. So that was an important piece to add because we don't have a real strong uh, cadre of deafblind teachers in the country. So this was to emphasize and advocate for that. Under H was a very important piece that's not been in the law before, and that's preparing personnel to be qualified interveners as individualized supports to assist children with deafblindness in school and school-related activities 
and infants and toddlers and preschool children with deaf blindness in early intervention and preschool programs. So this is very critical to the field of deaf blindness because we've not had that wording. We've not had that recognition before. And this puts the wording right into IDEA to make sure that interveners is there and that it, it's provided for school, early intervention and preschool. The next thing that we did because of the lack of understanding maybe of what interveners are is in section three of the findings, we put us a paragraph on what interveners do. So again, this can be quoted from Cogswell Macy. It says children who are deafblind should receive one-to-one services from interveners who have training and specialized skills in deafblindness. And that it describes that. Interveners play a critical role in the provision of a free and appropriate public education because they provide access to the information these children need in order to to learn and develop concepts to facilitate their communication development and interactions in their preferred mode of communication and to promote their social and emotional well-being. So this is part of the findings and can be used to further describe what it says in the previous areas that I have pointed out. The other piece has been related to related services. So not only have we've got the word intervener in there, we've got definition in there, but our strong advocacy is related to interveners being recognized as a related service, just as interpreters are recognized. So here's an example of how they could be modified And you can see that this is from, you can see where this is currently in the regs. And under A general, there's a listing of what related services mean. And you can read through that, but you can see where I bolded it. So right after interpreting services, we've added intervener services. And again, that's what we're advocating for is that the word be added there. Once that's done, it will open up many, 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 many doors um, at state and local levels because the wording is there and we still have resistance nationally to the word intervener. But once we talk about it as a related service, then it becomes a much more uh, important and a service that is more paid attention to. You can see also under C of that same section, there are some definitions that are there. So four talks about interpreting services. We've added a number five which means intervener services provided by a qualified intervener that enables with a child to receive FAPE by facilitating access to visual and auditory information, communication and interaction in the child's mode of communication and instructed needed to learn and make meaningful educational progress. Now, those are a lot of words I know on the slides, but I wanted you to see it in print I think it's important for you to know where that is as you begin to advocate. You'll be able to look right at Title III and find those pieces of information that can be shared and hopefully articulate that. Just know that this is so significant, how important this is, um, that we get intervener services recognized and supported and talked about and uh 
moved along just as interpreter services have been, has evolved and IDEA has helped that. So this is beyond important and critical uh, for improved outcome for those children. So it's very, very important. And we're very excited to have this be a part of Cogswell Macy. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. And I can tell that folks are getting excited. We're starting to have some hands pop up. I'll ask folks to please wait uh, a few more minutes before we open for Q&A. And at this time, I would like to turn to Howard Rosenblum, as well as Barbara Raimondo, to discuss the provisions of Cogswell Macy that directly address students who are deaf and hard of hearing. Thank you, Clark. I will just briefly say, and, and actually Barbara will, will take uh, most of our comments, but in terms of deaf education and what's included in the Cogswell Macy Act, um, I just want to take a moment briefly to say that from the National Association of the Deaf, we are more than willing to partner with the groups that are out there working to make sure that the educational system is transformed for the betterment of our students. We have been too long focused on integrating or including students with disabilities in the mainstream. We're not necessarily opposed to that, but unfortunately what has happened for deaf, deaf, blind, and blind students is that their access to special education to make sure that they have language acquisition and educational progress um, has not really been uh, appropriately deployed. That has been a gap and Cogswell Macy Act serves to fill that gap, transform the system, and make sure that the system, the educational system works for our needs. So I want to thank everybody who's involved. And for those of you who are watching tonight and raising your hands, we do need your support. We need all the legislators to understand the importance of this act to blind, deaf, blind, and deaf children, that uh, education as it normally unfolds is not appropriate for our population. And with that, I'll turn it over to Barbara Raimondo to speak more to the specifics in the bill. Thank you, Howard. So we'll go back to some of the comments that Mark said. Mark mentioned state planning being one of the requirements. For deaf and hard of hearing students, the most important provision is access to communication and curriculum and uh, design, of course. So the Cogswell Macy Act requires the states to develop state plans that actually document what they will be doing for deaf and hard of hearing students, blind as well and deaf blind as well, but I'm I'm speaking about deaf and hard of hearing students, that focus on language and communication access. In terms of evaluation, we see that we do not have enough quality evaluations out there, and it's hard to hold people accountable if we don't have quality Uh, qualified evaluators and instructors. So that's also mentioned in Cogswell Macy Act. We want to make sure that each child has access to their grade level content, that they're able to make educational progress and that that progress is tracked from year to year. We don't have that currently. And the need for different services in different situations, Cogswell Macy, uh, Of course, we have lots of other services that are offered, but we want to make sure that the full environment that surrounds this child is supportive of their development in all areas of social, socio and educational uh, development. Cogswell Macy Act also says that the team must fully provide language and communication access and needs, and it has to be direct, meaning not interpreter mediated. And sometimes people are confused about that. Um, Direct communication doesn't actually 
mean you put an interpreter into the classroom so that so Cogswell Macy uh, clarifies that understanding. And as Mark mentioned, the continuum, um, it is important that there be the schools, the special schools for these populations. The U.S. Department of Education has not changed some of the language in a long time, and we'd like that to see back written into the law, and Cogswell Macy will do that, the continuum of placements. And now vis-a-vis early intervention, Part C of IDEA talks about natural environments to include specialized settings, but they talk about school and society. But for deaf and hard of hearing students, um, it is those settings are, are where we see the problems arise because they're not really a natural environment for the acquisition of language and communication. So there are center-based programs that we want to be considered as the natural environment for deaf and hard of hearing students. This act also talks about teachers of the deaf. There are many young uh, children who need their families to be supported by qualified personnel and Part C. Um, And so we need to really encourage people to go into that field and to start at an, an early age to support families to understand what the needs of their child are. And of course, the communication plan has to start very early. And Cogswell Macy goes into great detail about what a communication plan should entail for deaf and hard of hearing children to make sure that families get the supports that they need. There just isn't enough support for families out there. And that makes it very difficult for for children to have positive outcomes. So we want to support families almost immediately as, as children are identified. Now, We know, many of you know, that the term hearing impaired is not acceptable in the community, and yet it is still enshrined in law. Cogswell-Macy Act will change that. So any instance of hearing impaired will be changed to deaf and hard of hearing. I'm happy to answer more questions when we get to the Q&A portion, but at this point, I think I'm turning it back over to Clark. Can you all hear me? Yes, we can hear you, Clark. Great. And at this time, we will take questions. Um, So we do have a few hands raised here. Uh, Actually, Clark, this is Amy Parker. I didn't know if if you wanted me to talk a little bit about our action plan and then take questions or if you'd like to take questions now. Yeah, so I think we're going to take questions now just to see if folks have technical questions on the bill language itself. Sounds good. And then we'll do a second round of Q&A for folks on that advocacy action. Okay, sounds great. Thank you. I see Amy's getting excited here too. She just wants to jump right to it. Um, so we do have a few folks here with raised hands. I'm happy to try to unmute folks here or if uh, any of our other uh, panelists here would be able to assist, that works as well. Clark, this is Megan Doty. I can help. I Great. see that Cheryl Johnson has She's had her hand up for a while. Yes. Yeah, so Cheryl, I've just allowed you to unmute yourself if you'd like to ask your question. Um, Hi, this is Cheryl. Actually, I think that was an error when I was checking. I meant to go to the chat box. And so I apologize. Not a problem. If there are folks who would like to raise their hand or if you've inadvertently raised your hand on a PC, it is Alt-Y on your If you've dialed in by phone, it is star nine. And if you were on the Zoom app, uh, it is the raise hand button, which I believe is located under more, the far right bottom corner tab. You are correct, sir. Mark, this is Megan. I'm seeing some questions were typed through the Q&A. Okay. Um, 
capability. And so I wonder if we might get a couple of these at this time. Sure. Uh, so the first one here is from Eileen, who wrote, with personnel development, would this mean that there would be a specialization for teacher training or a VI or DHH teacher receive more training? And Mark, would you like to take that question? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm happy to in the sense that the bottom line is we don't mandate, uh, except for, I think, in the early intervention language in deafness and perhaps in deaf blindness, some, some particulars around what personnel qualifications mean. But when I heard Megan read your question, I, of course, my ears perked up on the letters VI and no, we, we don't, for example, try to define uh, the criteria of, you know, what defines a teacher of students with vision impairments in any, in any way that having been said under the state plan provisions of the bill, we specifically talk about every state needing to come together and talk about how the state will meet within itself uh, its personnel needs. So that may mean that a state has to come you know, to a decision about how much money might the state legislature devote to personnel preparation programs within the state, that sort of thing. Anyway, that's my attempt. I think Barbara's about to rec- rescue me. So thanks. Barbara, any fi- any or, additional yeah. thoughts on this yeah. question? Yeah, happy to. Thank you, Clark. So, right, in the state plans, it's covered, but it's also in Part D of IDEA. Part D provides funding for personnel preparation. There's no mention of teachers of the deaf, and the Department of Education provides funding for that, but it's it hasn't been delineated as such meaning teachers of the deaf have not been called out by name. Thank you, Mark. But what the teachers of the deaf qualifications um, are will be provided, I mean, as an item in Part D. Um, And I'll continue further to say that, sorry, uh, in the early intervention piece, uh, hopefully that ha- that's answered your question, but yeah, we we that it will be called out by name and the qualifications will be listed as well. So, thank you, Barbara, and thank you, Mark, and I apologize for interrupting there. Uh, Megan, do we have any additional questions from the Q and A? This is Megan. You know, Clark, I think there's a question here from Elizabeth that will tie into our next portion of tonight's um, call. So Elizabeth writes, I'm ready to act. I have a child with charge syndrome. Who does he need to meet? Who do I need to call? Where do I send my money to help make this happen? So I thought that was just a great uh, tie in to our next section here. That that is and and I will ask uh, Elizabeth to hold tight. We have one more question here with a, a raised hand from a phone number. And I'm allowing uh, the, the person who dialed in on their phone and, re- and raised their hand to speak. Yeah, this is Gerard from Boston. Can you hear me? Yes. Good evening. Yes. Well, what's, uh, what's the title of that bill that we are going to have our legislators support? Well, you're also jumping right to the uh, the advocacy action plan, and that bill is the Cogswell Macy Act. And it, because everyone wants to hear about advocacy, I think it's as good a time as any to uh, turn it over to Meg. Uh, excuse me, Amy Parker, uh, who is an associate professor and coordinator of 
Orientation Mobility Programming at Portland State University. Amy, how are you doing this evening? I'm trying to go on video, but I think I don't actually know if I'm on video or not yet, but I am eager. You're right, Clark, to to talk to everyone tonight. And I'm so glad that we're getting to the questions about, about advocacy. So I am going to go straight to a place where we are going to take action. And what I'm showing on my screen right now is actually the Cogswell Macy act.org website. And there's a specific tab in here that's called how to advocate and show your support. What we're asking everyone on the call to consider and everyone in our network to consider is to take action through calls, through social media posts, and also through making appointments. So some of the mixed blessing of being in a pandemic is that you can make appointments, virtual appointments, and use Zoom or use Google or even use a teleconferencing system to have meetings with your legislators. And so we would like to encourage you in the month of April and beyond, but we were hoping that we could all take some collective action immediately. As you see on the website, uh, the Alice Cogswell and Ann Sullivan Macy Act, H.R. 19. Five nine is in the House, so the HR is the House of Representatives, and the S is the Senate, Senate Bill 813 in this new 117th Congress. As you scroll down the screen, you see some language here about uh, links that you can use to actually find who your senators are in your state, who your representatives are that you can look up by zip code. It's all here. And sometimes we can get a little bit intimidated when we are um, making these appointments. We might feel a little bit nervous, like I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say, or I didn't remember everything that Mark and Barbara said or that Howard said. How can I remember every single thing? I don't remember all seven steps. Really, the first step is just asking for their support. And you can do that by just saying, I would like for um, my, my representative or senator to support this bipartisan legislation that supports deaf and hard of hearing, blind and visually impaired, and deafblind students. And almost all of us on this call are ready to say that. And certainly if you have a, a child, you can say that. Here's some more information on this very helpful uh, home website about tweeting your support and using, some of you like to tweet or use Twitter or on Facebook, even if you do a Facebook post and you throw in a hashtag, Hashtag Cogswell Macy Act. That is a, a way that you can show your. Here are even some uh, links to sample tweets that you can use. If you're a professional on this call tonight, if you're a teacher or if you're an intervener, if you're someone else that's involved at the agency level, there is language on this website about um, how you can engage with other guardians or parents and get others involved. They might not know about the Cogswell Macy Act. Well, you can cut and paste this into a simple email about how um, this legislation, this, this proposed legislation matters. As you see, there are some members of our community. This is a um, video of Paul Olson, who's a superintendent um, in South Dakota at a school for the blind. And Paul's been involved for many years with Cogswell Macy legislation and um, activities. He talks about from, from the heart about why this matters. And that's another thing that you can do is to create short videos about why this matters. Some people don't like to read emails or they get lost in text. 
you can create a, a post about this and share a video about why this matters and encourage other parents, other families, other teachers, other interveners, others who care about our community to join you. So this is all about ways to get involved. I did want to just share very quickly and I'm mindful of time. This is a link to um, Cogswell Macy Act is on Facebook. I'm showing the Cogswell Macy Act Facebook page where you can find and share posts. If you do get back and share your own post, let us know about that. We would like to magnify your voice. If you, you've produced a nice video or something that you'd like to share, we'd like to share that as well. Um, I don't have enough time to go into the anatomy of advocacy. What I'm sharing with you now is that when you plan your meetings and you're using the um, Cogswell Macy website to support you, to set up those meetings, to ask for a Zoom meeting, to invite other people to that meeting, maybe you want to keep that meeting small and have just a couple of people attend with you, or maybe you'd like to attend yourself. You can go into that meeting knowing that you're not standing alone. Because also on the website, there is a list of all of the agency sponsors, all of the organizations who've been involved. So um, again, when you feel a little overwhelmed and you're not quite sure how to approach this, you can say this is not only supported by me because I'm the parent of a charger. It's supported by AER. It's supported by NID. It's supported by uh, DVIDB within the, the Council for Exceptional Children. One part of advocacy that I just want to um, magnify to the parents who are on this call, um, you, you need to begin with where you are. I'm actually showing a slide right now, and there's an image on the slide of myself and my sister. My sister, Melody, has multiple disabilities and is visually impaired. Um, one of the reasons I support Cogswell Macy, um, it's not because I'm a professor. It's not because I've worked at the Helen Keller National Center or because I have a doctorate. All of those things are true. I support Cogswell Macy because of Melody. Because when we were growing up in the early 70s, Melody was one of the first kiddos who was allowed to go to school. And it was never recognized that she had a visual impairment. Um, and now Melody is deafblind as, an, as a middle-aged adult. So when you're speaking, speak from the heart. You'll also be speaking from the head. You'll be using um, your policy briefs to go and ask for this support, for ask for people to join you. You can share what you imagine. I, I have an image on the screen right now, which is from a poem called Imagine. It's a poem by, by Juan Philippe Herrera. Um, and this is a cover on the cover of this book that he wrote about this poem. It just says, imagine. And it's a little boy looking up at the moon and the stars. When we share what we imagine for Cogswell Macy, we imagine that any child who is deafblind has an intervener and has a qualified teacher of the deafblind. We imagine that anyone who is deaf has access to communication throughout the day, not episodically, not just for a short period of time throughout the day. So that's what you have to do when you go into these meetings and that every child who is blind has access to the right equipment that they need to assistive technology and to braille. So when you go into the meetings, you need to share not what already is, but what can be. So these are just some notes on advocacy, sharing what, what you um, feel from your heart, sharing the notes from your head, from why this, this legislation will change. 
looking at Linda's slides that you saw on where this is in the law, this um, legislation creates a pathway to address a better child count, to address recognized roles for educators, including interveners. As Barbara said, it addresses the look, look, the need to look at personnel training and research. So, and your credibility is what you start with too, who you are. I'm a parent. I'm a teacher. I'm somebody who works on behalf of these students. I am someone who's blind. I am someone who has low vision. I am deaf or hard of hearing. Those are, those are things that you say right out loud in your meeting, but you get to the heart, the head, and the credibility. Um, one thing I, I did want to just say is that you can use the Cogswell-Macy at the local level, at the state level, and at the national level. Obviously, through the month of April, we're looking at make, taking action in Congress, taking action at the national level, asking for national support. But you can also talk about Cogswell-Macy on your child's own IEP, talking about why this matters, that these roles are recognized, that the community stands with you, that this is legislation that's moved forward, that's been created with love by the community. If you're speaking at the state level, you're, if you're speaking to different universities or folks who, who care about these programs, you can say, you know, Cogswell Macy, it isn't just a nice idea. It's a way to implement the law. It's a way to implement what already exists in IDEA, to make it clearer, to make it better, to be more inclusive of these populations. So that's what this slide is, is addressing. The last slide that I have is, um, and we're going to send a link, Megan and I, after this, um, and Mark's network for everybody who's on this call. We would like for you to take action this month to arrange appointments or to make phone calls or to send emails to do social media. And we'd like to know about the action that you took. So what's on the slide is a picture of a hand touching a wooden map. And it's a wooden map of all the states in the United States. It's a very tactile sensory map. Um, we would like to get a snapshot of the actions that you take. Sometimes we feel like we're standing alone and we feel like it'll be helpful for you to see um, examples of what everyone else is doing. And so we'll share that information with Barbara and Mark so that that information about the action that was, was taken could possibly be turned into a map or some way, a snapshot to communicate back out with you. Look at what we did in April. Let's take it forward in May and see how far we get to make this uh, Cogswell Macy a reality. So thank you. I'll turn it back over to Clark. Thank you so much, Amy. And Amy, uh, before we get to audience Q&A, just a couple questions quickly for you. Uh, tell us again what the website is for the Cogswell Macy Act. And if folks want to learn more, as well as uh, see the examples of how to take action regarding this important legislation. Sure. Cogswell Macy Act, the website is just Cogswell Macy Act altogether.org. Cogswell Macy Act.org. And then there are different tabs. The tab that says ways to get involved is the tab that I was referencing that has language that people can use, that has ways that they can find their senators or House of Representative members, that has uh, posts, even sample tweets that they can use, a hashtag. CogswellMacyAct.org. 
Thank you, Amy. And uh, you mentioned that there were some sample tweets that people could use. Would you mind reading a couple of those sample tweets for folks here this evening as well? Sure. And I'm just scrolling up on the website that I hopefully am showing on my screen right now. Um, so some you might use a hashtag that's Cogswell Macy Act, C-O-G-S-W-E-L-L-M-A-C-Y Act. Hashtag all students deserve truly appropriate education and then posting a link to the CogswellMacyAct.org website. Um, Another sample tweet says 350,000 students have hearing impairment, um, 100,000 have vision loss, but current law protects only less than a third of those populations. So it's, it's making that voice, making that case. You could even have a creative tweet about was, what is an intervener? It's the difference between access and no access, something like that. So you could get creative, tweet photos of yourself, um, and then use a hashtag. Thank you so much, Amy. And, and as I ask Megan again to help recognize uh, folks who have raised their hand using Alt-Y, star 9, or in the More tab in the bottom right, on their smartphone, raising their hand to ask a question, as well as those who have asked questions in the Q&A chat. Just like to remind folks to use that hashtag Cogswell Macy Act uh, hashtag on social media so it's possible to track your posts, your tweets, your Facebook posts across social media platforms. And another reminder, this is bipartisan House and Senate legislation. So there's no reason we shouldn't be reaching out to all 538 members uh, nationwide to support this critical legislation. And Amy, uh, excuse me, Megan, will you Do we have any folks with raised hands here to ask questions of Amy or our other panelists? We do. Right now we have two hands raised. So I'd like to go first to Juan. Um, Juan, I've just given you the permissions to unmute yourself if you'd like to ask your question live. All right. Well, as uh, as Juan works to unmute himself, Megan, do we have any more questions in the the chat or Q&A? Yes, we do. We have quite a few questions that have come through um, in both the Q&A and the chat. So we'll try to get to as many as we can. Um, I think the first came in that I'd like to maybe address to all of our presenters here today. Is there a provision of federal funding attached to this act? If so, how would the funds be determined and appropriated? So Megan, this is Mark. I'm going to... uh be my control freak self and jump in here. I saw this question presented to yours truly earlier today, so I kind of had a feeling we were going to get this question. The short answer is that uh, in some ways, everything that we're asking for in this bill is already paid for because at least, what, $12 billion, I think that's where we're at now. I think it's been bumped up a bit thanks to some of the latest actions of Congress, at least temporarily speaking. Uh, you know, a multi, multi billion dollar federal investment in the program across all states. It, is it enough? No, uh, for sure. Um, maybe some of you have heard about, you know, what does full funding of IDEA mean? Um, it would be a heck of a lot more money, uh, for sure. But uh, we aren't necessarily asking for uh, the federal government to invest more money 
as a result of the passage of this bill. When Barbara and I and others have gone to the, the Hill, we've made the point that, look, there's already a federal investment. That federal investment needs to be more than it is today. Whatever the federal investment is, what we're talking about here is making sure that whatever money is spent at the federal level, that it's spent well. And arguably for blind, deaf, deafblind kiddos, without the Cogswell-Macy bill, you're spending money uh, in an inefficient, at the very least, in a very inefficient way because you're not properly identifying students, you're not evaluating them properly, you're not accounting for their services, et cetera, et cetera. So how in the world can you expect, no matter what money you spend at the federal level, that our tax dollars, yours and mine, are being spent well? Now, that having been said, there is a provision. We haven't talked about it much. That's because, frankly, it's, it, we don't have time. But with respect to blindness and vision impairment, we do have language in the bill that talks about the establishment of a collaborative project run by the U.S. Department of Education. We called it the Ann Sullivan Macy Center for Visual Disability and Education Excellence. A far too wordy name that tries to say, let's get groups in our field together to do some innovative things, to do some pretty aggressive research, and uh, to fill in the gaps where a lot of those gaps currently exist. We do call on Congress to authorize that program and to make it mandatory and mandatorily funded at $22 million a year relative to the federal budget. Of course, then that's what we call decimal dust. Uh, but that's the only thing in the bill that actually talks about mandating federal dollars. But when you go to your visits with your senators and representatives and somebody asks you, so how much is all this going to cost? The answer and you can do this with, with integrity, is not a whole heck of a lot. The truth is you can enact this bill today, and all that we're really doing is saying that whatever the federal investment is, that we want to make sure that it is targeted to blind, deaf, and deafblind kids in a way that makes the most of those federal dollars. Thanks, Mark. And Megan, do we have any other questions in the chat? We do. I think this one is too... Perhaps Linda, this question is from Heather. What's the collective thought on school system intervener compensation? Thank you. Yes, the collective thought is that we have looked at this problem for years because interveners are considered in many settings to be classroom aides or to be uh, paraprofessionals. And by putting interveners in as related service providers, that raises the bar. It uh, puts them in a position to be considered more like interpreters are considered. And if we follow historically what has happened with that type of evolution, we know that the pay will increase, their value will be increased, their participation in IEP meetings will increase, the retention will increase. So that's why we believe it is so important that interveners be listed as related service providers because all those pieces uh, hopefully will fall into place after. Thank you, Linda. And Megan, maybe one more quick question, and then we'll wrap up here for the evening. Clark, I saw this question from Taryn, and I'd like to pose it to all of our presenters today. They wrote, my son is two and is deaf. What is the best way to begin advocating for him? So is there maybe one takeaway that we could do right away to start advocating? Thank you, Megan. And I'll, this is Clark. I'll start the, the first thing that 
the the questioner and that we can all do is ask Congress to uh, co-sponsor support and pass the Cogswell-Macy Act. Uh, but as this question is specific from a parent who is of a child who is deaf, Howard or Barbara may turn to you first and you may have to unmute. Well, um, I'm also a parent actually of two deaf children myself. And um, yesterday I I was remembering a day many, many, many years ago. Now the kids, you know, the kids are grown now. My kids are uh, 31 and 26. So anyway, um, but I agree with what Clark said, obviously supporting Cogswell Macy is is important, but really what you can do is communicate with your child. That is the most important thing right from the get-go. Do whatever it takes, whatever you can do. Uh, Get aligned with your early intervention specialist in your state and locale and get access to those services. However you choose to communicate, try to learn the best system that will work for your family and for your child. So that's that's my important, uh, my most important tip and I'll pass it on to Howard. I agree with everything that Barbara said, but I will say it's important also to include the deaf community in your lives. Get to know the deaf and hard of hearing community, adults uh, and other people so that your child can see role models. And, you know, there are deaf lawyers, there are deaf doctors, there are deaf professors and deaf PhDs. We're out here. And if your child has access to that community from a very early age, then um, that becomes your new normal. That becomes something that your child can imagine being and something that you can imagine your child becoming as well. That there are all these possibilities. There's technology, there's different futures and dreams and aspirations and educational possibilities. All of it is there if you avail yourself of the community and we are here to help. Great. Thank you so much, Howard and Barbara and folks. That is going to have to be it for this evening for this Cogswell Macy Act mobilization event. I want to thank everyone for tuning in here this evening. A special thank you to Mark, Linda, Howard, Barbara, Amy, and Megan for your assistance facilitating, as well as Tyson for assisting with streaming to ACB Radio Livestream. Folks, please visit CogswellMacyAct.org to learn how to get involved Please contact your members of Congress regarding this important legislation. It really does take a village. So whether you are working with students directly in a personal or professional capacity, whether you yourself were a child and a student who is blind, deafblind, or deaf and hard of hearing, reach out to your members of Congress, share your personal stories, and share with them why legislation like the Cogswell Macy Act is so important. And ACB rocks and Clark Rockwell's a rock star. Let's don't forget that. that that's what my last name stands for. Clark Rockstar Fall. <laughs> so again, thank you everyone. Um, please reach out to advocacy at acb.org if you have any questions related to the Cogswell Macy Act. And as always, keep advocating. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. 
To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org. Thank you.